Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, welcome all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here at Frisco East. What a great weekend. Uh, I want you to do me a favor across all of our campuses. Would you stand just real quick? And I want you to kind of look around just real quick. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. Just look around just real quick. Find somebody and tell them your greatest sin this week. Would you do that real quick? No, I'm kidding. Find somebody to tell them, hey, who you're going for next week in the Super Bowl, or tell them you're, good to, you're glad to see them. Those of you watching online, do that right now. Go ahead, go ahead. Those of you watching online, hey, so glad you're here. Give me some, fun, give me some fist bumps, some love. We're glad that all of you are here, and we're excited about the weekend. Awesome, you can be seated. Hope you met somebody new. So glad. If you're, uh, if you're new to Hope, so glad you're here. We uh, uh, love that you're here, and I pray that you find a, a home, a, a family. And if this is not it, hey, I'll be in the lobby, and, and the campus pastor will be in the lobby. If this is not it, we'll help you find what you're looking for. There's great churches around here, inferior ones, but great ones. And we would, no, I'm kidding. We'd love to help you if, if that's uh, uh, what you're looking for. We'll help you. Um, today, starting a brand new series called, strategically and creatively called Philippians. We're going to be in the book, that was a joke, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. And uh, over the next four weeks, here's the plan. Every week, I'm going to cover a chapter on the weekend. Okay, so this today is going to be chapter one. And then next week is going to be chapter two and three, four. What I'm going to ask all of us to do, if you can, I know some of you are in Bible reading plans, I don't want you to stop that, but if you can, all of us are going to read one chapter a week. If you want to do it at one time, you want to do it in chunks, um, a couple verses a day, whatever, but we're going to read Philippians together, uh, one chapter a week, and because I'm not going to go verse by verse in this study, we're going to just look at the chapter, I'm going to give an overview, but there are so many things that I'm not going to say about each verse or something that God may speak to you about personally as you read. And so I would encourage you this week to, to read along with us. Read chapter one this week, and then next week I'll talk about chapter two, and we'll, we'll dive into that uh, next week as well. Um, but inter- interestingly enough, we're going to start the book of Philippians actually in the book of Acts. And we're going to find out how this church actually started. What was involved in the making of a church? Many of you, some of you, were here when we started this church in 2000. A lot of you weren't. How did this church start in Philippi? What were the surroundings? What was going on? And then we're going to dive into the book. But I want to give some context, some background, before we, before we just go into Philippians. And you'll find the story in Acts chapter 16. Let's read verse 6. And we're going to read quite a bit, so stay with me, okay? Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia, that's modern-day Turkey, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with them, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God 
was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. So the Philippi was a kind of strategic city. The road went through there, commerce, trade, and so forth was going on. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city. So now we're going to get into how did this church actually begin. And, and usually what Paul did, they would find Jewish people who were in a city in which they were traveling to. Either they were meeting in, in a building, a synagogue type thing, or, or maybe outside in a, in a riverbank like we're going to read, or maybe in a home. But they would find some Jewish people because Paul was Jewish. And then he would tell them about Jesus, and then that's how the church was birthed. A little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her whole household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she urged us until we agreed. One day, as we were, so Paul um, goes to Paul and Silas, go to the river, and they find some Jewish people. They talk about Jesus, and uh, maybe they'd heard of him, maybe they haven't, but they, they believe. So now Paul is staying there, and we'll find that he's kind of developing relationships, and he's walking about in the city. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. This whole city, now here we start with the exaggeration, but you got to remember they're in a Gentile Roman city, and a lot of Greeks there, they're in the kind of the area of northern Greece, and so this is not Israel. This is not Jerusalem. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us as Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their, oh, I'm sorry. Paul and Silas were, how many about this time in your life you might be complaining before the Lord? You know, kind of like, dude, what's up with this, God? Are you even there? Okay, many of us. Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Not just quite an earthquake. There were some supernatural things going on here. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. 
But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with them or with him and with all who lived in the household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he, brought, uh, the, then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he, he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have, have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Some of you have that same personality as Paul, right? I get your emails. Let them come, <laughs> let them come yourself, themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. This was totally against the law. You could not do this to a Roman. They had no idea they were Roman citizens. So that's why there was like, Paul was like, I don't know. No, no, you're going to pay for this. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with them, with the believers, and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Now I know, I was like, man, that's a lot of scripture, and I got a lot more too. We're going to be in Philippians 1. But let me stop for a second, and I wanted to set this up because I think it's so important that we in the West... Western Christianity, I think, need to learn a thing or two about what it really means to follow Jesus, not just in the good times or the free times. We are accustomed in our culture and in our country, and thank the Lord we are, free to worship. You did not get up this morning, not one person got up this morning thinking, man, if I go to church, I might be arrested. Not one of us grew up that way unless you grew up in another country that is against Christianity. But I think in the West, we, we have come, become accustomed to thinking that this is, the, this is the way it is, this is the only way it is, and, and because of this, there's this, this Western theology that, that begins to form in that this is the way it always was. This is the way God planned it, that you would be healthy and wealthy and that you would get everything you want and Jesus is a genie in a bottle. And you just pray hard enough and you say the right words and you get what you want. And how many have learned or served the Lord long enough to know that that doesn't happen? And it doesn't work like this. Let me put it on the screen like this. Whoever said following Jesus or being a part of building his kingdom was easy probably wasn't actually following Jesus. And I don't mean to be judgmental about this because I, listen, I love, I love being free. I love the ability that we have. When I started Hope, the, the city officials didn't come and beat me with wooden rods, throw me in prison because I was talking about Jesus. But in many countries around the world, that's what happens. And in the West, and I'm, I know I'm starting serious, you're like, man, I invited a friend today. It's going to get better, I promise. 
But I just think we should pause for a minute just to think about our faith and to think about how it is that we serve or follow Jesus and how often it is that we throw our hands up in questions when we don't get something answered the way we want. When we stub our toe, it's like, God, where are you? When in many parts of the world, for even mentioning the name of Jesus, you could be in prison or you could be killed for your faith. Does this make sense what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just saying the way that Philippi started, the church in Philippi started was not the way Hope Fellowship started in Frisco. And, and I think just to get, get away, just pull back a little bit from our Western way of thinking and, and really what it means to actually follow Jesus in the good times and the bad times, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, with the butterflies and feelings and with the times in which you, you're walking through a desert, spiritually speaking, and you wonder if God's even there, a relational break, a, a, a financial challenge of some sort, or even a physical challenge, and we throw up our hands and we just kind of wonder, where are you, God? And I just, I feel like, man, as we start this series and we start the understanding of this letter, that it's important to know that it doesn't always go the way you think it should, and it doesn't always go the way you want it to go. And following Jesus, he said it himself that in this world you will have what? Not a trick question, tribulation. And you will have some things that go on. But I be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So that's why Paul and Silas could sing while they are in prison, shackled for nothing. That's why they could sing and pray in the middle of their mess. And that's why I think it's so important that we stop for a minute and understand how this church actually started. And interestingly enough, Paul would leave Philippi. How many think you would learn your lesson like, okay, I'm going to be a little more strategic this time. And I'm not going to get arrested and beaten again. Paul would go city after city, starting churches. And what would he do? Get arrested. Get beaten. And in fact, he would actually die. Killed for his faith. So, in, the light, in light of that, while he writes this letter to his friends back in Philippi, he's actually in prison. We're not sure which one. Rome, Ephesus. It was a large city that he was in prison. But he writes this letter back to them to encourage them. Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. So as we learn, as we, as we dive in, I'm, I'm really encouraging you, don't, don't listen to me and go uh, just with what I'm saying over the weekend. Dive into it yourself and see, is God wanting to say something to me? And get out of our Western way of thinking and say, God, help me to establish my faith so strongly that no matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens in this world, I will bow my knee to you and I will serve you in prison or in my home. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Okay. So when he writes this letter, Philippians chapter 1, let's start with verse 1, and I'm going to give you an observation after we read, and then we'll talk a little bit, and then I'll give you another observation, and we'll read some more scripture in Philippians 1, and then we'll, we'll pray together, okay? Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy. Now, Silas is not in the picture here. He's with Timothy, his other son in the Lord, or, or uh, protege. 
And he says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. So the church has grown. The church has established leaders, leadership. They've established deacons. There's, there's some things going on here that are good. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the, from the time you first heard it until now. So in chapter 4, we're going to learn that probably many times the church here at Philippi supported Paul sent him money to help him on his missionary journeys. Now, here's where we're going to camp and give you some observations. Verse 6, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So, let me give you my first observation for this chapter 1, and that is this. Beginning, continuing, and finishing our faith is God's work. Now, I was not raised like this. I was not raised with this, this understanding or, or this, 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 this approach to the gospel, and I'll explain that more in a minute. But I'm going to go back to verse 6 and, and read it again, because Paul lays out a foundation for the whole book right here. And he says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, so when we, when we accept what Jesus has done on the cross, that work, Holy Spirit fills our lives and comes in and begins that transformation, that, that metamorphosis. We get our Greek word, the, the Greek word is metamorpho, that, that starts this transformation or this work within you. God, who began the good work, will continue the work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is key as we start and we, and we understand our faith, as we understand and approach our relationship with God, that we understand it is God who began, it is God who continues, and it is God who finishes, not me. It's not, it's not God does his work, and I do my work, and then we're right. No, it, it, God did the work with, through what Jesus did on the cross. The only thing that we can do to get it is receive it. You can't earn it. We, we can't earn it. We, can't, we don't deserve it. We're not good enough. We're, not, we're never going to be good enough. We're never going to be righteous enough. It, it's a gift from God. In fact, Ephesians, Paul, another letter that Paul wrote, chapter 2, he explains it this way. So let's read it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It is, and, and the Jewish people, you understand, there was a, there was a, a keeping of the law uh, principle or, or, or mentality that you, in order to be made right with God, you keep the law, and if you don't, you make a sacrifice. And you got to do that every year and so forth. Well, Paul is understanding, and, and he's preaching a gospel that is only by God's grace that you're saved, not because you keep the law. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. 
God saved you by his grace when you believe, so that when you believe, God's work begins. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us. So he keeps using this over and over that he began a good work. He created us. He, he gives us. He graces us. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. One more, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, he says in another way, another letter of Paul, just kind of laying this foundation again. He will keep you strong. Who? He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. So it's, it's not something that we can be right with God and we can be blameless before God without Him. It's His work. It's His work. God will do this, for He is faithful to do what He says, and He has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let me, let me bullet point it. Just I, I know this is Christianity 101 for some, but again, I was not I, well, maybe, let me say it this way. I did not understand this growing up. The way, and maybe some of you are like me. Some of you may be raised Catholic. Some of you may be raised in a, in a more of a legalistic works-based kind of theology in which we understood that Christ did the work on the cross, but as soon as we accept that, then we work to keep it. In other words, I'm going to do my best, I'm going to live righteous, I'm going to live holy, and we should do those things in order to be accepted by God and continue that relationship. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Some of you understand what I'm saying. Some of you are like, I already knew this. Okay, good for you. Great. But not all of us know this. So let me bullet point it. Again, this is the gospel. This is the good news. God invites us into a relationship through Christ. When we accept his invitation, he begins a good work in us. Holy Spirit begins that transformation. And then he will continue that work until our salvation or our faith is complete when Christ returns. Period. It's his work. He began. He continues. He finishes. Now, some of you are about ready to leave hope because you're like, oh, wait a minute. Well, you just, you're just giving us a license to sin? You just getting everybody? That's a that's a cheap gospel, John. No, it was a high-priced gospel. But it is not dependent on you and me performing enough to get it. Does this make sense? It is a free gift. And none of us in this room, none of us in this room received it because we were all that great. God never looked at Jesus, kind of, hey, look at them. Wow, they're awesome. Not one of you. And he looked at you and said, what a mess. Right? Me too. And then he gives us. He invites us into relationship. We accept that relationship. The work begins and he continues and he will complete it on that day. So, number one, beginning, continuing, and finishing our faith is God's work. Now, here's the second observation and then we'll read scripture. As a result of God's work, now listen, so you can stay at hope now. As a result of God's work, we apply ourselves to grow in our faith. Listen, we don't apply ourselves to get right with God. We don't apply ourselves to stay right with God. Jesus does that work. That is the efficacious work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His atonement is an unbelievable principle. The grace is an unbelievable principle, but it's true. So as a result of God's work, 
And in other words, in light of what he's done, we apply ourselves or we respond in growing in our faith. Let me read Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. We're skipping down in the verse just a bit. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will, listen to this, keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So, no, 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 John is not giving us preaching a gospel in which you can just go do what you want because Jesus is, has grace and he's given us grace. No, 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 no. We're just saying that we don't do anything to, to get that or, or keep that. We respond to what he's done. And there's a big difference. We respond to the gift. We respond to his grace with a life where we apply ourselves to grow. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Galatians 5, Paul, again in another letter, says the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, the evidence of the Spirit's work in your life is the fruit that you bear. Love, joy, peace, patience. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So we apply ourselves. We respond to God's work and his grace in our lives. It's already at work. And we grow. We apply ourselves to grow with what he's already doing. Now, 2 Peter, another disciple of Jesus, says it this way in his letter, in his second letter, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. He says it this way. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And that, that's a, I mean, that is like, I could stop there. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. How many have ever heard, I just can't do it. I just can't live this Christian life. I, I just, I've tried and I've tried. See, in the early 60s, when my mom came to the Lord, she was uh, not living really for the Lord. She was kind of, you know, kind of floundering in that. My dad was on a, a business trip, and my mom came to the Lord, and, and came to the Lord in, a, in one of those, and I'm, she's grateful for her experience. I'm grateful for my experience, but in a legalistic kind of environment. I mean, if it was fun, it's sin, okay? Anything. So my dad, when he, you know, kind of got into this whole thing, and he was like, man, I'm, yes, I, I want to accept what Jesus has done for me. But dad had a temper, and and every t many times when he, and he, this is a great story. My dad has passed away, so I can talk about him like this. But he had a he had a cussing problem, and now back in the day when in my church, if you cuss, you're going to hell. Okay, you cuss, you're going to miss the rapture. Bottom line, and, now, and that man of what they taught, but that's what I believed. I mean, I mean, I was like, I can't let him one. And so dad had this mentality because he couldn't shake it. He couldn't now some all of you. I know you. I, I hear you. You guys are all cussers. So in my church, you wouldn't be going to heaven. I mean, the church I was raised in, not this one. My point is many of us have said, I, I just can't live that godly life. It says God has given us everything we need. Let's read on. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his beginning, his continuing, and his finishing. Share this divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, in other words, in light of this, in response to what he has done in us, 
Make every effort, this is the way Peter says it, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more, listen to this. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more you grow, the more knowledgeable, the more productive you're going to be. And this is why we teach it this way, inviting everyone, our mission, inviting everyone to find Jesus and then help them move to the center of God's purpose for their lives. That's the responding to the grace, responding to the work in, that God's doing in our lives, that we move to the center of God's will. In other words, we supplement our faith with a generous uh, portion or provision of moral excellence brotherly affection, love for everyone, the more you grow like this, the more productive, the more in line, the more in purpose you're going to live. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Here's my point. Let me put it on the screen like this. We are not saved by our effort. We do not stay saved by our effort. Our effort is in response to God's grace. And that's how we respond. Paul sets this up. And again, many of us were not raised this way. Many of us are like, oh man, I don't know about that. It's, it's the gospel. It's, we call it the good news that God began, that God continues, that God finishes. And because of that work, we can't help but respond. At least in our hearts, there's that part of us that wants to do what's right. You're not always going to do what's right. I'm not always going to do what's right. But there's this part that we want to do what's right. See, that's the work within us. So we apply ourselves to grow in our faith. We apply ourselves to, in verse 27 of chapter 1 of Philippians, above all you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. That's what we apply ourselves to. Now, we don't always attain that. We don't always get there. But this is the response to what God's doing in our lives and what He's done so that we grow. God's beginning, continuing, and finishing. We respond to that beginning, continuing, and finishing with applying ourselves to grow, with with making every effort, not an effort to get right with God, not an effort to stay right with God. We do it because He is so good and we want to please Him. We want to be in His will. So some of us today, listen, we struggle with this. We're like, man, well, I just want to do what I want to do. Well, join the club. We all want to do at times what we want to do. But this is what lordship is about. This is what disciples in discipleship is about. This is like, hey, I don't want what, you, what I want. I want what you want. So I'm going to align with your word, applying myself to grow. Not because I want to earn your love or earn your acceptance. That's already been done. But because I want to respond to your greatness, your grace in my life. See, man, there's a big difference in understanding our relationship with God. And Paul sets it up so well in this first chapter. 
He says, it is God who began. It is God who continues. And it's God who finishes. You and I don't earn, don't deserve, don't work for it. It's already done. We work to be examples to this world. We work to let our lights shine. To live as citizens of heaven, blameless because we love him. Not because we're trying to get him to love us. So, when you think of growth, let me just say one more thing. When you think of growth, spiritually speaking, what do you think of? Growth. Many of us, I know, mostly I say, get into the Word. True. Good answer. Get into the Word. Pray. Spiritual disciplines. Giving. Praying. Reading. The Word, I'm saying. Memorize, I mean, just, just diving in and going to church and being in community, all those things are, are really, really good. But let me throw you another slant on what growth or another way to measure growth, spiritually speaking. Because many of us, we have a heritage that we came from. We have a way in which we were raised in church and we have this, this, these roots, culturally speaking and even spiritually speaking, in, in the way that we were raised. Many of us have Scripture memorized and we've, we're pretty good on our theology. And that's a great measure of knowledge and it could be, in, in, in a way, a good merit, mer, uh, a measure of growth. But let me just ask it another way, okay? Are we applying ourselves to grow in our faith? So that's the second point. In other words, the first one is he begins, he continues, he finishes. The second is applying ourselves to grow in light of what he's done. And many of us, when we think of this, we think of, okay, spiritual church attendance, my heritage, I was raised this way, bless God. Good, I'm glad. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask it like this, four of them. Are we growing in our love? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Memorize the Torah? Read, read the Old Testament in a, in a year? Go to a Bible study? Go to a conference? Give? What did he say? It's the greatest commandment. Learn to love God with everything you have and learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Greatest thing that we could do, the greatest measure of growth in a Christian's life, in my opinion, how much do we love? Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Peter says, hey, add to your faith or make every effort to add to your faith moral excellence, brotherly affection, and then love for everyone. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, listen, you can have all the mysteries un... You can have all the mysteries of, of, of Scripture solved. You could speak of, in the tongue of men and of angels. You could memorize Scripture like crazy. You could go to church every weekend. You could be raised in a great church. But if you don't love, it's all been a waste of time. I didn't say that. So don't just think of growth as in how much knowledge or, or how much zeal 
you have for his word. I, please don't discount. I'm not saying not reading his word. I'm just I'm saying that's a good thing. But Paul also says knowledge has a way of puffing up. There's a lot of pride that comes with knowledge. and So don't, don't not get knowledge, but make sure you're understanding the work within you. Because that fruit of the Spirit's activity is not how much you know, but it's how much love are you walking in? How much joy are you walking in? How much, how much peace are you walking in? I could go through the whole list of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. Are we applying ourselves to grow in our faith? Are we, applying our, are, we, are we growing in our love? Are we growing in our compassion? Are we growing in our trust for God? Are, are, we, are we saying, God, no matter what happens in my life, no matter good, no bad, bad mountaintop, valley, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you because of what you've done for me and who you are. It is not determined on my circumstances. My faith is not based on whether I'm having a good day or you're answering my prayers the way I want you to. I trust you no matter what. And then are we growing in our purpose? The great commandment, the great commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Are we growing in our, in our love for people far from God? Are we alienating by our lack of love and our lack of compassion? Guys, you want to grow in your faith? Read the Scripture. Of course. Pray. Yeah. Read, read the Bible. Yeah. Go to church? Yes. Give? Absolutely. But it's measured not by how much you give, not by how much you go to church, not by your Scripture knowledge. Are you growing this way? Are you responding to what God has done in the way in which gives us the ability to have influence in this world? This is so important. Paul gave his life to preach the gospel so that you and I could sit here today even in our Western minds, and understand that it is meaningful and impactful. And the least that we could do is respond in a way in which says, God, what do you want from me? Stop resting in your tradition. Stop resting in your heritage. Stop resting in what you know. And are you growing in ways in which really matter in eternity? God, your word is powerful, it is sharp, and it exposes us for who we really are. It cuts between what we want and what you want, soul and spirit. So God, would you, as we dive in this week to Philippians, speak to us. And two more questions for my friends in this room, for my friends watching online, is... Have we accepted God's invitation and His work? Number two, are we applying ourselves to grow in it? Those two, are we in a place in which we're in our lives where we say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I believe in what Jesus has done and I want to receive that work. God, do what, do what Paul was talking about. 
Begin that work in me. Many of us maybe need to cross that line today. We need to accept, Jesus, what you've done and allow you to begin that work. And then many of us need to apply ourselves to growing in a way in which really matters. So, whoever we are, right now, I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to think about 30, 40 seconds about if you're that person who needs to accept what Jesus has done and let Him begin that work in you. Or if you're already a believer, are you responding to His work? I want you to think about, God, what are you saying to me right now? I want you to just think for 30 or 40 seconds, just in your own way, pray. Think about where it is that your faith is with God. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.